listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, last week was Reformation Sunday, and we launched a uh, new sermon series called The Five Solas. Church history tells us that there were a number of reformers who were instrumental in what we know as the Protestant Reformation, but none more noteworthy, uh, none better known, I suppose, than Martin Luther. It was on October the 31st of 1517, now 504 years ago, that Luther nailed his 95 theses, or statements of faith, on the door of the castle church at Wittenberg, Germany. I saw someone tweet this last week uh, that the 95 theses were Martin Luther's proto-tweets. And so uh, if they would have had Twitter in that day, he may have tweeted them out. I don't know. Um, But in many ways, that singular event sparked uh, what we know as the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Now, Luther did not nail the five solas to the church door. Uh, the five solas, as they are expressed, uh, and, and the way that we're kind of unpacking them in this series of messages, are a way of summarizing what the Reformers taught in the 15th and 16th centuries. Uh, and so the complete collection of the five solas were assembled much later, but they do give us a very accurate summary of what Reformers were teaching and preaching and clearly articulate the issues that they were compelled to protest. Now last week we started with sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the highest authority, Uh, not a mixture of Scripture uh, along with tradition and church teaching. Scripture alone, it stands alone as our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. This week, uh, we are looking at the second of the five solas, sola gratia, meaning grace alone. Salvation is by grace alone. Alone, meaning the whole thing is a gift from God, not just part of it. Uh, it's not as if we are compiling some sort of spiritual resume and we would want Jesus to be a prominent part of our resume, but along with that, we would want uh, some heavy doses of self righteousness and our best efforts and all those things. It is by grace alone. We can't earn our salvation, it is an undeserved gift freely given by God. Next week, Uh, We will, Lord willing, unpack sola fide, meaning faith alone. And then on Sunday the 21st, Jace uh, will cover solus Christus for us, uh, Christ alone. And then we will conclude the series with sola deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now remember, these five solas are not important simply because of their historical significance. This is not just a, a a history lesson, in other words. These five solas are clearly biblical doctrine and are very important to us today. In fact, we would describe each of these as non-negotiables, as first-tier issues for us. Uh, And so in our new member process, one of the things that we attempt to to explain, to, to clarify, is that we as a church are not looking for uniformity in all things, uh, biblical doctrine, teaching, and those sorts of things. Uh, there are certain matters, however, where it is critically important uh, that we are all on the same page. Those are first-tier issues, and that's what we are unpacking in these five solos. There are other issues that we would consider second- and third-tier issues, perhaps. 
some of you uh, maybe would disagree with my views on eschatology, for example, the end times, the timing of the Lord's return, and some of those things. Some of us maybe differ on the workings of the Holy Spirit and, and cessationism and continuation and all of those kinds of things. We would consider those uh, mainly second-tier and third-tier issues, but these matters are what we would say of first importance. They are not negotiable. Now, let me give you a little historical context. I do think it is important for us to understand uh, kind of where we're at in terms of history itself. In 1506, Pope Julius uh, laid the foundation of a huge church in Rome, which he called St. Peter's Basilica. Now, you're familiar with that, and uh, it was because there that they believed that the Apostle Peter was, was buried. The church was going to be built on almost six acres uh, of land. A church is going to be a very large structure in the shape of a cross. The most outstanding feature of the church, of course, would be a dome, 80, uh, 80 feet across, supported by four large posts, 400 feet high. And so today, the dome of St. Peter's Basilica still stands as a symbol of the Roman Catholic Church in the Papal Square. Well, to build such a building naturally cost a lot of money, even back in the 1500s. And so the Pope needed to raise money for the project. They decided to send monks uh, throughout Europe to sell indulgences to help pay for the building of St. Peter's. Now, in Catholic theology, and we discussed this a little bit last week, an indulgence is the remission of temporal punishment for a sin that has already been forgiven. And so, in other words, when you died, you would not have to spend as much time in purgatory because you had already paid for some of your sins, kind of like pay it forward, so to speak. And so an indulgence would then be granted by the church when the sinner confessed and received forgiveness. And through the buying of indulgences, the church is extending merit to a sinner from the accumulation of merits. Think of kind of like a bank of good deeds, a bank of merits that it has collected based on the good deeds of the saints. Those merits could literally be bought and sold through the church for yourself or for a loved one who had died. Well, in 1516, Johann Tetzel was sent to Germany to sell indulgences. Uh, he may have been the first salesman of his kind. Uh, in order to sell these indulgences to the common man, he developed a catchy saying, uh, kind of like a commercial, an ad, so to speak. And he said it this way, As soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the rescued soul from purgatory springs. It was in that historical context that Martin Luther challenged the Pope with his 95 theses. Number 86 of the 95 said this, Why does the Pope build the Basilica of St. Peter with this? Why doesn't he not build the, why does he not, why does not the Pope build the Basilica of St. Peter with his own money rather than the money of poor believers? So the church was fundamentally giving people hope that they could earn their salvation. They could buy salvation for loved ones who had already died. It had become something that you could buy or, or sell, not a, not a gift given uh, to someone by the grace of God. And so then that brings us to sola gratia, grace alone. And for that reason, I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, you might also want to turn back to the book of Romans, chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of texts today as the foundation for this morning's message. Uh, if you've been around church, in church for very long at all, you have likely heard uh, of Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus here in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and in chapter 2, verse number 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that all sounds like some bad news, right? But notice what the next two words are, the first two words of verse 4. But God. I would suggest to you that those are two of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. They are used in one form or another in a lot of different places in Scripture. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, but but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, This next week, Monday and Tuesday, I will be at our Southern Baptist of Texas convention in Tyler. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the fellowship. I'm looking forward to being challenged and preachers need to hear good preaching and all those things. But one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is the theme for this year's convention. It is, but God. They've already started putting out some promotional videos and, and they are basically testimonials of people who would say things like, I was a broken man, but God. I was lost in my sin, but God. And that's what we find right here in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So with that in mind, I want you to turn back to another of Paul's writings. Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. He says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. Verse 24 says, And are justified, how? By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Think satisfaction. A reconciliation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we might be just, uh, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jared C. Wilson uh, is one of my favorite authors. In recent years, he has, God has used him uh, profoundly to uh, challenge me, to encourage me, to cause me to think. Uh, many times. He is the author in residence at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, where he also serves on the faculty at Spurgeon College. But uh, in a collection of essays on the five solas, entitled Sola, How the Five Solas Are Still Reforming the Church, 
Um, Jared Wilson writes on sola gratia, and he does a great job of connecting grace alone to the other four solas. Uh, I don't want you to to view these five solas as independent uh, truths. They are all very interconnected. So I love the way that he describes this. He says, grace alone is the theme of Scripture alone. Grace alone is the theme of Scripture alone. It is the strength of faith alone. Think about it this way. Your faith must have an object. And your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. Uh, I overheard a lady one time say, well, I just need to trust my faith more. Well, that's like saying I need to grasp my grasping more. Okay? Your faith has to have an object. And so that's why your faith, uh, the, the strength of faith alone, is found in, in this soul of grace alone. And grace alone is found in Christ alone. And proclaims the glory of God alone. So with Scripture alone as our basis... We learn and understand that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, that we are saved. In medieval times, they had a slogan. The slogan was this, God will not deny his grace to those who do what lies within them. In other words, they believed that God would give you grace if and only if you did what you could to please him with all your good works. We've always said it this way. Any gospel, any gospel presentation that includes Jesus plus something, whatever that might be, is a polluted gospel. It's a polluted gospel. Again, there are a lot of people today who would say, well, I, I, I want Jesus. I, I even want Jesus to, to have a place of, uh, of prominence in my spiritual portfolio, but I've got to add some things to that, right? I do believe that Christ died for my sins. I, I believe in, in the, the bodily crucifixion and death and resurrection of Jesus and all that, but, but I, I've got to do some stuff too, right? As if it's some sort of a, a, a spiritual uh, eternal recipe where you say, well, the main ingredient in this recipe for me to spend eternity in heaven is Jesus for sure. But there's some other things that have to be put in this recipe uh, to make it palatable for me. That, that is clearly not biblical teaching. And we see that in multiple places here. So the first thing I want us to do is define this morning sola gratia. Let's define it. Now we know it, it means, the Latin there is grace alone. Okay? But I want to expand upon that and I hope further clarify what we mean here. By grace alone... Spiritually dead sinners who are under the just and holy wrath of God are redeemed by the death of Christ and made alive in Christ so that they are reconciled to holy God for eternity. Let me say that again. By grace alone, spiritually dead sinners who are under the just and holy wrath of God are redeemed by the death of Christ and made alive in Christ so that they are reconciled to holy God for eternity. Understand this, the essential message of the gospel is sin and grace. If you had to boil it down, if you just say it's about sin and grace. Sin is the problem, God's grace is the solution, it's the antidote. And so what we're saying is you cannot, I cannot, and indeed we will not fix ourselves. 
Your only hope is the grace of God given through Jesus Christ. Grace alone can change us. Grace alone can transform our lives. The gospel is not some sort of self-help program. And again, that's why we regularly say here, Christ did not come and die to make simply good people better. He came to make spiritually dead people alive. That's an important distinction. Paul even specifies here that even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, making it clear that it's not because we finally and ultimately somehow found a way to be good enough or to, 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 to get a check mark as if we're approved in our own self-righteousness and then we could experience the grace of God. No, while we were dead in those trespasses and sins, he lavished his love upon us, his grace upon us. So let's unpack it a little bit further. Sola gratia unpacked. Our salvation is not earned or deserved. It's not earned or deserved. The gospel tells us that Christ died, not to improve the chances of basically good people, but again, to bring to life spiritually dead people. It's not earned or deserved. And and scripture clarifies why that is so important to us. Because if it was something that could be earned, if it was something that we could somehow deserve, then that would mean God would owe us something. What kind of God would it be that is indebted to his people? In fact, Scripture tells us God will not be a debtor to any man. And so if it was based upon my self-righteousness and Mike doing enough good things to somehow tip the scale in my favor, then God would like owe me one. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. So our salvation is not earned or deserved. Number two, our salvation is 100% a gift. It's a gift. Now here's where some confusion comes in. We many times pair up the words mercy and grace. Because they they go together. (laughs) But, But they're really like two sides of the same coin. God's mercy... And God's grace. Understand it this way. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve as sinful human beings. So mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Let me further illustrate it. Let's suppose that I get out here and I'm driving on Highway 75 and I'm kind of in a hurry to get to McKinney. Okay, to Hutchins Barbecue, okay? It's a good place to go in McKinney, right? Okay, so I'm in a hurry, I'm hungry, and I, let's say I'm driving 12, 15 miles over the speed limit coming south out of Van Alstine. Because in case you didn't know it, it's 65 miles an hour when you head south until I think the highway divides down there and it gets to 70, right? There's probably some people here who could verify that this morning. But anyway, um, let's say that I'm going too fast. And so I look at my rearview mirror and I see some flashing lights. I'm like, oh, great. Gonna be that much longer before I can get to Hutchins. Anyway, I pull over. You know, I get, get, officer comes up to my window, asks for my license and registration, and, and informs me that the reason I stopped you is because you were going so many miles over the speed limit. I'm like, okay. And at that point, I'm trusting the fact that his radar gun is calibrated properly, and in fact, I was going 12 or 15 miles over the speed limit. Right? He goes back and he runs my, you know, my license and all those sorts of things, make sure I don't have any warrants for my arrest and all that good stuff. And then comes back to my car and says, tell you what I'm going to do today, though. I'm going to give you a warning. Now, what he has just extended to me is mercy. 
mercy. Because he has chosen to not give me what I really do deserve. What I deserve and what he could give me according to the law is a citation that I would be required to pay. But he has said, instead, I'm going to show you some mercy today. I'm going to extend mercy to you by not giving you a citation. Instead, I'm just going to give you a warning. And then let's suppose that that same officer, before he walks back to his car and lets me go on my way to Hutchins, he says, and I'll tell you what, here's something else. And he pulls out his wallet and he says, today, I also want to give you this crisp $100 bill. Now, I would probably faint in that moment, okay? But what he has just done in that moment is extended to me grace. He has just given me something that I do not deserve, something that I did not earn. that's the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting that which we deserve. Grace is getting that which we do not deserve. And I'll go even further. It's something that we cannot deserve. Because the truth is this. Even on our best day, we can't be good enough. We can't be good enough. That's why we're described in Scripture as being dead in our trespasses and sins. And I'm going to refer to an illustration that I shared with you some months ago. Some of you might remember this. But many times we view uh, humanity and eternity and all these things kind of like some sort of a bookshelf, right? Think about a bookshelf filled with books. And we think that, 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 that it works horizontally. And so we always want to find ourselves on this bookshelf of humanity somewhere near the top. I think most of us would recognize I'm not on the top shelf. I mean, there's a lot of people who are better than I am. But the truth is, most people are worse than I am, right? And so we like to think of ourselves somewhere up here near the top anyway. But that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. No, 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 the bookshelf is actually divided vertically. And on one side, you have those who are in Christ, those who are fully free, fully forgiven. They know that their chains have been broken, the chains of sin. They are now clothed in robes of righteousness. They are in Christ. On the other side of that shelf are those who are not in Christ. Either you're lost or you're saved. Either your spiritual eyes have been opened by the amazing grace of God, or you're still walking in your spiritual blindness. Either you've been made alive by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, or you are still spiritually dead this morning. I mean, it's a lot like, you ever heard of a lady say, well, I'm kind of pregnant? You, you, you're either pregnant or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. And so our salvation is 100% a gift. And number three, our salvation is not the result of good works, but for good works but for good works. So it's not as if we can earn it. We can accumulate enough good works, but we did a series of messages just probably two or three years ago now. Uh, The last two years have felt like six years, if you know what I'm saying. But we, we did a series in the book of James, and we entitled that series Faith Works. And what we said in that whole series, and what you'll find if you read the book of James, is that An authentic faith, a genuine faith, is authenticated by our works. So we're not working to salvation, to earn salvation. We are working because of our salvation. And so with that, let's look at sola gratia applied. How does it apply to our lives? Now these texts are not going to be up on the screen this morning, but I want to appeal again to Paul's writing, and this time to the church at Corinth. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we know it as the resurrection chapter. In verses 9 and 10 there, Paul writes this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, you may have heard the name Paul. Maybe you're familiar with the fact that Paul was one of the apostles, and Paul wrote much of our New Testament. But you may not know his testimony. Prior to his miraculous conversion, uh, he was a persecutor of the church. Now, he was a religious person, and he thought he was doing God favors by persecuting early Christians literally dragging them off to their death. I mean, he held people's cloaks when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death. I mean, this is the kind of guy he was. He was known at that time as Saul. He had this miraculous conversion, and then shortly after, his name was changed to Paul. And so when he says here that he's not even worthy to be an apostle, he's talking about his testimony, his life. I mean, he's talking about his story is really what he's talking about. So he says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But notice what he says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, sola gratia, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Then he writes over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is a text that we uh, often refer to when we want to talk about giving, uh, about giving of our financial resources, although it has a broader application, certainly. I want you to listen to verses 6 through 8 of that chapter. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice what it says, though, in verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So you see there how this is applied, how it is lived out. This is one of the reasons that we often say we don't just need the gospel and the grace of God at the moment of our conversion. When we are justified, we're declared free of our sin, the penalty of our sin. We need the grace of God every day of our lives. And we need to continue to proclaim the gospel to ourselves as we are graciously, miraculously, providentially transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus every day. Every day. And so how is this lived out? What, is, what does grace produce in us? Number one, I want you to notice this. Grace produces humility. Grace produces humility. Uh, I'm not a big uh, fight fan or anything like that, but I, I, I've seen enough to know of this like Colin McGregor guy and I've seen his crazy, ridiculous swagger walk. You know, he's the guy that does this number. And then you see a lot of professional athletes, you know, try to, you know, they'll imitate that and everything else. You see, if salvation was all about us and our best efforts and our good behavior and us being better than most people, then we could walk through life with like this spiritual swagger. But grace says, now, that's annihilated. Grace instead produces humility. It will remove my spiritual swagger and my self-righteousness. Because again, even on my best day, I can't be good enough. 
Grace, number two, also produces joy. It produces joy. Because understanding that I am deeply loved and fully forgiven will help me with deep joy, fill me with deep joy. So if you're on this track where you're constantly trying to be good enough, I can only imagine that that at least occasionally you're, you're experiencing some spiritual angst. And so you would constantly feel like, well, I've taken a couple of steps forward, but I keep taking three steps back. And then I've taken a couple of steps forward, and then I take three steps back. And about the time that I think I've tipped the scale in my favor, then I tip it back the other direction. And it's like this, this constant just angst. But when you fully understand and have by faith accepted the gift of God in the grace of Jesus Christ, it produces joy because it's in that that you know that you are deeply loved and fully forgiven for all sin, past, present, and future. It produces joy. It produces obedience. It produces obedience. Because as I understand how much God loves me, I will rest in the fact that his ways are always better than my ways. It will bring about joyful obedience. So in other words, we don't obey just to to, to receive the grace of God, to earn it somehow. It's because we have received the grace of God that we then choose to obey. We choose to obey. It produces obedience. Grace produces compassion. Compassion. Those who have turned from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ should be the most grace-filled people on the planet. The most grace-filled people on the planet. You ever been around people who just, ain't no grace? (laughs) It's especially difficult when that person maybe is your boss or a teacher. It's like, no grace. No, believers should be some of the most grace-filled people. Because when I see more fully how God has loved and forgiven me, I will seek to be compassionate to those around me. We covered the same principle a few weeks ago in our family series when we talked about forgiveness. When you realize and understand fully how much you've been forgiven by God, you will be much quicker to extend forgiveness to others. Scripture has a lot to say on that subject. Grace produces compassion. And then finally, grace propels us to be missional. To be missional. I will want others to know this great love that God has shown to all who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The word gospel fundamentally means good news. Evangelion. It is the good news that is to be heralded, to be proclaimed to the nations. It's the grace of God. It propels us to be missional. I want to conclude by uh, asking you to think about the words that we sang to that last song before I came up to, to speak this morning. John Newton is the writer of the original Amazing Grace. John Newton's godly mother died before he was seven years of age. At the age of 11, he left school and joined his father's ship as a sailor. His early years were marked by rebellion, uh, absolute debauchery. Um, History tells us that he learned to cuss from the other sailors and had the foulest mouth of any of the sailors. Uh, Later, he signed on as a mate uh, of a slave ship and sailed to Africa, where he traveled from village to village, buying people, loading them on the ship, where they were uh, shackled two by two, crowded into the hull, Uh, As many as one-third died in terrible conditions during the long voyage back across the ocean to America. 
Eventually, he became a captain of a slave ship. Well, on March the 10th, 1748, as Newton was returning to England from Africa, he was at the helm of the ship as they ran into a storm. And as the storm continued to grow stronger and the seas became more dangerous, he didn't know if the ship would survive or whether they would all drown. And so for the first time in his life, he could remember really, truly being afraid, terrified. He remembered the faith of his mother, and he read a devotional book on board the ship. The message of God's grace in that touched his heart in a way that he couldn't forget, and he was gloriously saved, turned from his sin to faith in Jesus Christ. You fast forward a bit. We discover that he went on to become a pastor, and by the end of his life, he was one of England's best-known, best-loved preachers. Wrote many hymns, but his best-known Most loved, written 30 years after his conversion. Amazing grace was his personal testimony of having experienced the grace of God forgiving his sins instead of punishment for them. You know the words. Listen to them, maybe in a little different light this morning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Sola gratia. On John Newton's tombstone is this inscription. Once an infidel and libertine, meaning lived without restraint, a servant of slavers in Africa was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. You may be sitting here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, my testimony isn't anything like John Newton's or nearly as dramatic as that of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to tell you something. The grace of God that is shown into your heart and life is just as amazing. Because just like those individuals and others like them, who have amazing stories and amazing testimonies that may seem much more dramatic and much more intriguing than yours or mine, each and every one of us, just as dead in our trespasses and sins, but made alive by the grace of God. So if we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes. We often say here that while we may not do an altar call, there is always an invitation. Today's invitation is really quite simple. If you can't point to a time in your life, and I'm not suggesting that you necessarily have to know the exact day or the date, but if you can't point to a time in your life when you turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe up until now you've been trying, you've been putting your best foot forward. You've been struggling, trying to somehow, some way be good enough, somehow, some way trying to earn God's favor. It's an exercise in futility. 
It's only when we realize that we can't save ourselves that we fully understand the beauty of the gospel and the grace of God. Scripture says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There may be others of you here today and you would say, Pastor, I've, I've, I've done that. I've taken that step of faith, turned from my sin to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to leave here today with a renewed understanding, a fresh understanding that we need the gospel every day of our lives. Not to get saved again, not to get saved more than we were yesterday, but so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, I am not what I once was. I'm not yet all that he wants me to be. By the grace of God, I'm not all that I was. Heavenly Father, we thank you for amazing grace. Our finite minds, our limited ability to put into words makes it obvious that we can't truly explain what we simply know as amazing grace. Can't earn it, don't deserve it, but in your goodness, in your love, your grace you offer it God I pray that you would continue to work in hearts and lives today that we might more fully know and understand your grace your love for us these things we pray in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.